0: talk about the uh, second record experiment uh, came in 84 um what was it that you had uh, taken from that first record that you wanted to uh, progress or change or do something new how did the um, second record evolve
1: better gear Mm -hmm. man bigger studios right bigger budget michael brower media sound man um
2: yeah, we we had a little we actually did record it at the same place that we recorded the first or most of the first album, that yeah. is. Um and and then we move we mixed with Michael Brower uh at, at Media Sound. But we also did a lot of other things during the during the album, like you know, on on Promises Can Break, we used real piano. Um Paul Pesco wrote co-wrote two of the songs on the album uh with us. Uh but, you know, in retrospect, and then there, were, there was more experimental kind of stuff, like with Get Jumping, um, and actually Paul co-wrote three of the songs with us. But Can't Take Losing You is one of the ones that is always people are always asking about. Um, and that was, you know, Classic Mike and I doing that. Classic system.
0: No, Roger yeah. clo- closed with that one. Um, so on this one, it definitely seemed like you guys were trying to refine what you're doing a little bit. There's more songs and more concise. Right? We
1: had, we were, we were germinating a little bit because we had, a, we had a chance to let our ideas grow because we actually got to experiment and work on other records and kind of learn the studio craft because right. this is the first time we had ever been in the studio at the helm of our own record. I mean, in retrospect, it was a pretty bold undertaking, like to. All right, we're going to produce our own first record, okay? We're going to we're going to produce it ourselves. It was a big it was a big undertaking. So, during the course of making other records for other people, we were kind of refining the sounds. We were kind of thinking it gave us a wider berth because what we did was so unusual that people expected the unusual from us that we had a little bit more of a wider parameter that we can create in because a lot of those songs experiment, you know, the song experiment on the album, the feel of it to me, right. it's my favorite record of all, because we really at that point we were really experimenting and we were trying different things within the format of what we did as a system, but we were able to take some chances and kind of expand a little bit more.
2: You know, I think that, I think that both of us, both of us were using kind of like what we, what we had learned in our lives, obviously, too. And I, I know that I was always, and just, we were, that was our sophomore album, you know, and people kind of like expected, you know, there was there's always a reputation about that. But in any case, I, I remember, I've always wanted to, and I had the opportunity. It was like, all of a sudden, we both had the opportunity to basically kind of do in some set, sense what we always wanted to do and i wanted to use some of the harmonic things and chords and uh harmonic ideas and voice leading that i had learned in all kinds of music that i had played in my life and we did do that and we had you know and that's why we called it experiment and i think that that's actually true of a lot of our music on the first album too i mean can't you know stand up and cheer hey hey it's like weird it's got like of a weird chord progression that's kind of i don't know what it is exactly but it's something and the, from. And
1: the, and the verse chords are just amazing i love that verse. the verse chords
2: yeah. yeah because they're because they're they're two five progressions kind of going down and all the, i mean it's it's all different you could you could you know you could analyze them and i actually you know have but and musicians did and i we've heard like jimmy jam and terry louis like like i know that there was a, an interview with jimmy jam and terry lewis like talking about how um they were really influenced by can't take losing you and they were you know by that song but that but can't take losing you we were really influenced by our own song you're in my system you know for can't take losing you so you know it just goes on and on the influences just keep uh going on and on in music and yeah so
0: that record you know demonstrated some artistic uh, growth but it didn't hit as well as that first record. So how did you guys feel about the reception it ultimately received?
1: I, th- I, think, all, I think part of it was, I think the record company we were on was in transition. A lot, of, I think that had a lot to do with it. Um, I think Jerry was getting ready to close his label. Atlantic was moving acts around. And I think that record was a lot better and the response we were able to get, I don't think it was promoted enough. I, mean, I know you hear that 5,000 times from every artist, but. <laughs> but yeah, no, but I really believe, I mean, um, Promises Can Break. That was a smash r and love song if ever there were ever there was one. And for me, that's like, for me personally, I think it's one of my best vocal performances ever. Um, and the lyric and the chords and, you know, it was, it, we were kind of in the mode of, the stuff that was coming out of Minneapolis by Jimmy and Terry in some way, Cherelle, something about it has that kind of R&B kind of flow, but it was pure mm-hmm. system. And to me, that song should have done a lot better than it did, but that's life. What are you gonna do? Yeah.
0: Did, just, did you um, get any flack uh, from the record company that it didn't do as well as they had hoped or everything was cool?
1: none at all i mean
2: we yeah i don't think there, there wasn't really yeah.
1: they kind of knew we were they, gonna eventually do something that was going to break through because a sound was so original and they really couldn't guide us like there was no roadmap for what we were doing right you know they there was
2: no produce we, yeah we were producing ourselves and it was and we were we were kind of like in demand as producers you know um and i think that i think that the second i think that the second album I mean, it was a great thing, and you know, we cha- We did make some changes, you know, for the third album, um, in our in our approach. You know, it was like the mixing was different. The mixes were different, for instance. But the but um, the second album was like was fantastic. You know, possibly you can say there there still was a at that time since you were doing a collection of ten songs or however many i'm not sure how many songs there were on it but something like nine or ten that if you chose the if you we had a lot of songs that could have been singles and possibly if can't take losing you had been first single or promises can break had been first single things might have gone differently of course also there's a song on that album that lollipops and everything right, which was yeah. which was huge and we're not talking we forgot about that for a yeah, second yeah, there yeah, but yeah. that lollipops and everything was actually the pre. The predecessor kind of in a way to don't disturb this groove in terms of the the groove and by the end the second album was actually really influential i got the i was lucky enough to work with phil collins when i asked him why he called me he said mate i heard uh it, experiment the system experiment album and i wanted and that's why and i said well did you hear our first album he said no i only heard your second album so we were that our second album had like a lot of influential things and it may not have done as well as some other things, but hey, you know. Yep. That's the way it goes. Yep.
0: Did you guys tour on that one also?
1: No. No. Not really. A lot of studio work though. We were producing and writing for everybody, soundtracks, films. You know, we were we were working a lot. We were working a lot. Like Yeah. 265 days a year maybe we had 100 days off or something but we were really i remember dave saying you know i need some, <laughs> I need some weekends off <laughs>
2: <laughs> was, yeah because we had we had done we did angela beaufield's album jeff lorber's album uh, uh, we had just Devin, finished howard johnson's Devin album
1: Gavin christopher
2: all these Well, albums. Gavin was a little bit later, the Beverly Hills Cop soundtrack, uh, Rock and Roll Me Again, you know, a whole lot of things, yeah. He
1: did uh, yeah, we do a bunch Tune, of great right? things during that time. Yeah, came and... he came after he heard In Times of Passion. I'm, I, I guarantee you, like, In Times of Passion had come out whenever you said June or something, and in that summer, that's when he said, come do this session. Do you remember that?
2: I do remember that, and and I also I also remember that that's right. We did the we played on uh, Juicy Fruit, Right. yeah, and uh, to, and and M2 May, and I remember that M2 May, Mike, you played, you're in my system for M2 May, and he before it came out, and M2 May, and you called me and he said M2 May thinks we need to put more stuff in the verse. He thinks it sounds too empty. <laughs> yeah, he was yeah. wrong
1: because yeah. he heard it Inter- <laughs> Inter- <laughs> passion, which was just incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Mick, so um, you played some guitar. Um, what did Paul bring guitar-wise that, uh, you know, added to what you did?
1: Well, Paul is a, is a guitarist. Like, he's, I'm, I'm a lyricist singer who likes to play guitar. Paul only played guitar. And we had a great relationship. He was friends with Dave. We got along well. And he was a very accomplished studio musician. So it was great to have him on board. He was young yeah. and fresh, and Paul Pesco. He was always fun. <laughs> in the studio. He was always
2: he's fun. Still in the a great studio. friend, you know. Yeah,
1: he's, still, he's still an incredible friend. He was always fun in the studio. Um, you know, he was just fun to be around, and he was just a, a great musician. Comes from a long line of, you know, from a musical family. His father's an opera singer. He was just, he was just a great person to be around.
0: David, did you ever make any uh, suggestions to uh, make in terms of his vocals, um, or did was that just totally up, up to him?
2: Well, I mean, I made some suggestions, yeah, absolutely. But he but he wrote the melodies and the lyrics on on all of our songs. Mm-hmm. But I made some suggestions every now and then, yeah, well, in the studio. I mean, we worked together. I would kind of play producer to Mike. You know, I'd go. You know that's that's how we did it i mean we, we there, yeah. were, there were a lot of suggestions and he gave me lots of them too yeah. you know so. but more than that more sure. than that yeah just...
0: yeah so the next record pleasure seekers came a year later 85. um this one did a little better i think than the second one right so uh what changed yeah. for this record uh mick
1: i think we're on atlantic records proper by that point right dave um uh, right. I think
2: it was right between, I think it was right between, but it was, yeah, it was more, it was kind of like they were transitioning from Jerry's label being just sort of part of it. I remember right. his office moved into like a, into like a closet room or something, yeah. whatever, whatever yeah. it was, there was a little bit of a transition, but also I think that the, you know, the, the music was a little different, uh, maybe, but it was, we had, this is for you. Uh yeah. that was a huge R&B hit. Right. Yeah. And that probably, in, in retrospect, that maybe should have been first single. "Pleasure Seekers" was first single, but "Pleasure Seekers" was kind of radical, and everybody liked it, and it was great. So
0: that's one of my personal favorites. Yeah. Yeah, great track. Did you guys go on a, a tour with this one, or uh, cut more videos, or what? What did you do in support of this record? How did it, you know, change or, or advance your careers?
1: Uh, I don't remember Did we tour this? Okay. Well we did we did actually we
2: did actually do like radio we did a long radio tour <laughs> with pleasure for pleasure speakers for one thing. Um and then we also uh did lots of uh TV dates, you know, with Mike and I. I don't think we actually took the whole band out, but we did lots of lots of club dates and we'd play, you know, we'd play at clubs. We play Soul Train. Know, yeah, and Soul oh, Train. We awesome. did this is for you and Pleasure Seekers on Soul Train, I think.
1: We also played one show with Marla Gibbs. That was a TV show, I forgot the name of it. Remember Marla Gibbs and we had, no, that was Don't Disturb This Groove. No, I Yeah, I think it might have been Don't We played the Pleasure Seekers with Prince, America's Top 40 or something. And they had three acts, Cool and the Gang, Prince, and us. And what they did was, whichever song advanced in the following week on the charts, they would air the two, two performers whose charts advanced. And ours didn't advance. Cool and the Gang, I think their song was Celebrate Good Times. And Prince mm-hmm. did Little Red Corvette. So we're... <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. Did, yeah. did you get to
0: meet those guys? or?
1: No. I mean, you know how shows are set up. You come out of your dressing room, everything's set up, you go on stage. But we got to watch them perform. Well, we
0: mentioned a lot of the guys that you guys had worked with, you know, from Jeff Lorbert and Toomey and all those. Um, since we're talking about that, is there like a, one or two people that you worked with that particularly either was a personal thrill for you or that was just memorable for whatever reason?
1: I say Shaka Khan. This is my night. Yeah. What's yeah. Moment.
0: What did you work on with Shaka?
1: We wrote "This Is My Night" for Shaka Khan. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. We, yeah, we, we
2: wrote that. That was the title song for the album. Yeah, so we got that. Was that was great? I mean, Chaka was, yeah, that was a great moment.
1: Yeah, amazing.
0: Well, big you had mentioned being a Rufus fan going way back, David. So yeah, yeah, absolutely.
1: yeah, yeah, absolutely.
0: Wow. Yeah, she's my very favorite female vocalist. That must have been amazing. Um, so after that. Um, you guys took a couple of years to come back with another record, so I guess you're so busy doing all the other stuff that you took your time before coming back with the monster that was "Don't Disturb This Groove." So, can you kind of step me through what transpired leading up to that?
2: Ooh, David. <laughs> I, um, well, we do. You know, we were we were producing a lot of things, but now that you're actually talking about it, now trying to think of it in sequence, I don't remember exactly what we produced between well, those two things. But I think I think it actually just took us a little longer to do the album. And uh, like, okay, the, don't um, pleasure seekers was 1985 and part of '86, and then real we, don't disturb this groove. Was one of the most played songs of 1987. So i I think ex I think you might be like. That space of time was not as big as what you're talking about. We were. We were. We wrote another album, and uh,
1: probably produced another three or four.
2: Yeah, we produ- We were always producing other albums too. So it's hard to remember all of them. To tell you the truth, right now.
0: That's that's that's, that's fine. Talk to me about. Um, the the you know evolution uh, you know the creation of that particular track that title song.
2: Yeah. Mm. Um, well, okay. Yeah, Dave. Yeah, want well, uh, Um. So yeah. so you know there was a track actually the the musical track of Don't Disturb This Groove was something that I started just the musical part. I started it in 1984. I remember that it was on a tape that was like the very, probably the very end of 1984, but for some, I think it was probably right directly after we finished recording Pleasure Seekers. So, and Mike came over and heard, and that was the song, Mike, that I remember that you went, no, that's not, the chorus should be the verse and the verse should be the chorus. So we had a really, you know, I remember saying, I remember working on it by myself in my apartment thinking, why am I spending so much time on this piece of music? It's just too much. And is this what I'm going to just be? So I I remember that. And then Mike came, came over and he went, look, just turn those around. And we need, and then he took it home and wrote the song on, you know, the melody and the lyrics and said, we need a bridge. We need a link between the chorus. And I have an idea. It should say, hang a sign on the wall. And we sat down and we wrote, the chords for that and the music for that. And, uh, and that was a really, you know, that was, that was like one of those things. And part of it was that just like in Lollipops and everything, where there's two melodies in the chorus, you know, Mike had said, listen, there's going to be two melodies in the chorus, don't disturb this groove. One of them's going to do be don't disturb this groove, and the other is going to be all I need is but me and you. And then that's simple enough. And I was like, no, just change it to that simple enough and one note. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but other than that, you know, Yep. glad that, thank you, thank you, Lord, for having you think of that.
0: <laughs> that that's definitely, that the song's <laughs> definitely one of those earworm songs. I mean, that melody just, you know, gets in you and sticks yep. with you. It's uh, unforgettable. Right. Um, Mick, how, how would you generally get inspiration for, for your lyrics? The great ones
1: came from real life. Oops, how did I do this? What did I do? I lost you, didn't I? I got you. Well, I, I got have, you. I don't have you. What happened? What did I do? Oh, I got to go to here. Where am I going? Mike, I can still see you. Can you hear me?
0: Well, we got, got you picture and video. So. Okay,
1: that's fine. That's fine. Um, let's see. The great ones just come from life, and I store them. Like, you're in my system came from, believe it or not, going with the wind. And whatever year that was, I don't know if it was like around Christmas time or leading up, but they were playing going with the wind. And there's a scene in there where the the maid, I forget what her name is, says, he's in your system. He's just in your system. You can't get him out your system. So I was like, oh, wow, you're in my system. Yeah, so I kind of always keep these little snippets of, words and ideas and when i heard that track i immediately thought you're in my system don't disturb this groove the cassette tape that dave gave me it just said groove it It said groove it was written on the cassette so you know I, i play songs over and over and over again and you know i'll come up with a melody one day and then i'll come back to it maybe the next morning i was like no no that's not right so it's really it can be a labor but the, the ones that are about real life can come pretty quickly.
0: I, I didn't ask you earlier, but how did you come up with the name of the group, the system?
1: Oh, that was, well, because everything at that time, stereos were systems now. They weren't just like, you know, stereo speaker, but, um, and also the fact that we came from different social backgrounds and, He was white and I was black. We represented, together we represented the Mm -hmm. system, what makes the the world move forward. Um, I I think that that was basically the idea.
0: This record, though, Don't Disturb This Groove, I mean, not only was that title track just so memorable, but the whole album, I think, was another evolution for you guys. Um, It kind of more expanded your your palette, I think. Mm -hmm. And... um, and also there were more uh, people involved in this one. So, you know, how did that kind of all come together that you expanded your sound, you expanded who who was involved?
1: Well, I mean, part of it was that we had been making a lot of records and during the process, we were meeting a lot of, you know, great musicians and kind of saying, oh, it'd be great to have Jimmy Malin come play percussion. Oh, it'd be great to have... Um, when Arif suggested that someone sing the B section in Don't Disturb This Groove. You know, we we like, we like had been working with a lot more people, and so we were kind of gathering up our little system army. And many yeah. of the people that are on that record, we'd also worked with on other records we produced. So it was just like a natural process.
0: I just want to run through some of the people on the credits I see here that are well-known names, like, Tom Lord Alge for uh, mixing, and Tom Jimmy D- yeah, D- the Alge Douglas Alge. on the recording. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Omar Hakim on drums. Mm-hmm. Um, you had horns.
1: Steve Stevens, I think, played on that record, right, Dave? Yeah, he did, Steve Stevens, Yep.
0: Yeah. You had some um, actual horns on this record?
1: We
2: did yeah. have horns on Nighttime oh. Lover and something else, I think, Another song, on uh, maybe Didn't I Blow Your Mind? I can't remember. Something else.
1: Those horn players are very, very expensive right now.
2: <laughs> That's Chris Bote. Chris that was Chris Bote.
1: Bote. Yeah, exactly. When he was just a young lad, a young whippersnapper. Oh, oh and Sel- and uh,
2: uh Seltzer.
1: Andy, Andy Schnitzer.
2: Andy Schnitzer. Andy yeah. Schnitzer. Andy Schnitzer and Chris yeah. Bote. They He's are great. some of the best horn players of all time.
1: Of all time. Yay. That, that would be a very expensive session right now.
2: <laughs> right.
1: You had
0: Dougie Fresh on there. Yep. That's right, hip hop flavor. (laughs) So now that record took off, I think it was the biggest of all your hits, right? So, um, did you tour behind that and how did that, you know, that take you to sort of yet another level?
1: Oh, yeah, don't disturb this groove was like we did a a bunch of huge tours. We did a Marvin Gaye tour, we did, um, what else, Dave? We did a bunch of stuff. Well, well, the
2: Marvin Gaye. Wait a minute, the Marvin Gaye tour was that's a, Correct, but the Marvin Gaye tour was with You're in My System. Unfortunately, Marvin Gaye was not there. I don't think anymore. But we we toured with uh, Cool and the Gang. You yep. know, you were talking about Cool and the Gang. We called to go toured with Cool and the Gang. Um, uh, I'm trying. I'm kind of spacing yeah, on other. Felt- we played with Luther yeah, Vandross man. at the. There were Luther Vandross, Natalie Cole. We did lots of dates. Big, really big dates. Yeah
1: uh what was there a super fe- super fest whatever they whatever they were yeah
2: um and i'm trying to remember some of the other people but we did a long a long leg of the tour with cool and the gang
1: mm-hmm.
2: i remember that and uh but we did play with marvin gay on you're in my system when he had his big band too and oh, Sheila, she he was in the band yeah. for their brother yep yeah. yep
0: so is there any uh, you know, one or two memories from the road that stand out in particular, whether it was you know, a giant crowd or an equipment failure or getting lost or something that really stands out to either one of you?
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, the one early gig we had, which was kind of our coming out party uh, in times of passion when I think Dave explained earlier, we were using sequencers um, for some of the music but we never took into consideration that the, the light, the voltages of the lights changing when all the lights are on the lights are off would throw off the sequencer. So we're playing at this club called The Garage, which at the time, I mean, for me, it was like the best place to play in New York. I mean, it was a huge club and our record was huge at the time. And we did kind of our opening show at The Garage. Am I right? That's right. That was, and, but
2: that was you in My System" had just come that, out. It was during that time in that was, December, I think. Oh, I thought that was. Yeah, it had come out. I'm, I'm, all, I'm almost positive because we had, we had to do "You're in My System," and they said that, yeah. So and the and the lights didn't work when the lights came on when the light show came on. It conflicted with the with the electricity. It gave right. impulses somehow through the electrical current, and the sequencers would not work. They were going on and off. So luckily we had a tape that we used for TV tracks Mm
0: -hmm.
2: and we gave it to Larry Levant, the DJ. You probably know who that is. And, uh, and he, and he, and we had to do it with that. That was a, that was kind of, and we ended up getting a battery that we would run on for the rest of our touring. We would always run off this battery. When the show began, we'd unplug it from the wall and we'd run all the equipment off of that.
0: Um, did you guys have any choreography or any uh, stage directors, or get into much yeah. of that in terms of the show, or a lot of lights, or you know? Yeah. I didn't get to see you guys actually in concert back then, so if you could just tell viewers what the show was like.
1: No, I mean, no, we didn't. We just were like doing it guerrilla style. <laughs> 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 That's what we were gonna
2: do. Yeah, we didn't we didn't do choreography. We you know, I mean, we did obviously we did those videos and sometimes in the videos there would be some choreography. I think coming to America, right Paula Abdul choreographed end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the, the, yeah. But that have, was with a tri- that was yeah. with the whole tribe there.
1: You could to had the dancing Yamaha KX11, KXM11s. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> right.
0: That's right you guys did uh, that title track from Coming to America, that was what, was that like 87 or I don't remember the year of that.
2: That was 80. 89 or 90 or something. Oh yeah.
0: later, yeah, Big Eddie Murphy, movie. Um, so uh, Rhythm and Romance, you guys closed out the decade with, with that record. And um, this one sort of continued, I guess, I would say, with the Don't Disturb the Groove kind of vibe in that, um, you know, you're still using some outside uh, people and um it didn't hit as big as, as that other record, but uh what changed and, and what, what do you recall about that particular record in those sessions?
1: Well, I mean we put we put a lot into that record. I mean, it, in retrospect, like listening listening back to it now, you can it's a funky, funky record. It was more in kind of a new jack feel, but it was almost like Look what we can do to New Jack. Jack right. New Jack won't jack us. We'll jack New Jack. It was that kind of a mm. that kind of a feel. I mean, it really it was an intense New Jack record. And Midnight Special yeah.
0: was a top 10 uh, R&B uh, song.
1: Right. And That's again. right. Yeah. Oh, by this time I guess they felt guilty cuz they took us to Paris to shoot the video. Right, Dave? Yeah
2: yeah we were we were in paris mike is dan- mike mike was dancing in, in the arc de triomphe you know
1: uh-huh. yep.
2: <laughs>
1: we, had a, we had a big giant red cadillac convertible on 19 i don't know what was driving that? through it was a paris line yeah. cadillac yeah. right
2: did you
0: guys i bet you guys probably had a pretty good following overseas right
1: yeah we've always yeah. Had, a, we've had a lot of people yeah. who appreciate sure what we do in europe and you know asia also uh, we we still we
2: still we actually still really have a following. And there's a lot of there's a lot of a lot of, um you know, musicians from teenagers to into their 30s that are that are always calling me and contacting me and wanting to know about the music specific things like what was that sound that you guys used at the be on the chorus of this song or that song uh a uh, heartbeat of the city or whatever there was one a heartbeat of the city was a song on don't disturb his groove so and a lot of and i mean a lot of a lot of people and i'm sure mike is get mike gets contacted by a lot of people too do, do you always give away those listening secrets? say you that again
0: do you always give away those secrets uh,
1: a, yeah. lot of, a lot. Of, <laughs> a lot of secrets anymore you know it's like you you can you can Someone can explain to you what it is, but it's always going to be your version of it anyway. So it's like, you you know, you'll never get exactly the same thing. I get tracks all the time from people that say, oh, I did this. This reminds me of, this reminds me of you guys. And I'll listen. I'm like, "Uh, not so much, but (laughs) kind of.
0: You mentioned that the uh, new Jack swing. And of course that was huge in the late eighties, early nineties. How, how did the trends musically and also the business side of the industry kind of impact you guys? I mean, you know, hip-hop got huge, and Jack Swing, you know, changing tides and, and, and all that. Um, how did that affect you guys at the turn of that decade from the 80s to the 90s?
1: I think, one, I think we always just did what we liked and it was influencing us at the time. And so it kind of creeped into our bones, just like, you know, we can look back, you're in my system was completely us, but there were things going on at that time that had some influence on the song and the style of the song. Cause you know, we, we're human beings, we listen to music, we party to music, we walk around, we hear things. And it's the same way when New Jack was so dominant. Um, I think it was definitely our own take on it. Um, but I know David, even early on, he would always call me and say, hey, you got to hear this song. It would be like some hip hop song from the West Coast or some, you know, some beat, some song from some band, some rap group in the Bronx or Queens. And so we're always influenced by the things we hear.
2: Right, Can't help it. How,
0: how do you um, balance doing that versus chasing sounds or trends?
2: Um, I think I don't. I think that you just kind of don't
1: yes yeah, chase
2: we, we didn't really do that i f- I feel like we I've always felt like we couldn't do that that it was irresistible to like have our own sound, and I think that that's true, and I think that that's one thing that I get from when I listen to rhythm and romance, and I remember the the um the influence of New Jack at the time. And also something that I get from there's an ESP, the, our album ESP, oh. which was heavily influenced by early 90s, the the neo soul kind of sound at that time. So I think that no matter how much you get influenced, we just like kept doing our own thing anyway. And Mike, sometimes, sometimes I would be more worried about like, you know, well, we got to keep up with the times in some way. And Mike would go, no, we don't really, we don't have to, you don't have to worry about that. And I think that in spite of even worrying about it, I've never, my, I personally, and I don't think we've ever really been actually able to like mold ourselves to like some other person's sound as well as some other people can. Other people have done it a lot better than we can. But on the other hand, we end up with a more original sound for, for our whole lives. It's a lifetime achievement of having an original sound and actually, uh, system overload how about system here i'll hold this up how about yep. that you don't have to use that but that album also like you know we we actually put a lot into that especially the title track of that which did have some you know uh a lot of a nod to the 1982 83 sound but still we still couldn't help but like you know make it original
1: yeah.
0: well and you you uh, said esp so that uh you guys can come with that until two thousand. And I thought that that was a great updating of your guys sound and to me right just from beginning to end I actually think that that's your funkiest total record Um, Yeah, cool Um, And the uh, you did the uh, new version of your my system on that one and tons of songs you guys really I guess you you had a lot of music that had gathered up in that decade. I'm guessing. That's right. Um, That's right. Yeah what what did you guys uh, uh, do mostly during during the nineties? So leading up to when that came out.
1: In the nineties, or was that the?
0: well you speak? Yeah, out a night.
1: lot of sex with women. Lots of yeah, sex lot, with a different of, women. Yeah, a lot of sex.
2: <laughs> a lot of things going on.
0: That sounds good. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Just kidding,
1: that was a joke. I can't. I can't remember. To be honest, I, mean, <laughs> 90s, I don't know. Like I. I I get it mixed up. It's like, when did this happen? Well, um, were you
0: guys were you guys still uh, doing shows during the nineties and things like that?
2: Kind of, mostly not. Dave, mostly not. Yeah, I had so, moved out here. I had yeah, moved we, out to we, L.A. We moved to L.A. Uh, well, I moved to L.A. in nineteen ninety two. But then, Mike, you came out in ninety three. And we did, like, a number of songs. And you were right, actually, Scott, in that the ESP album was a collection of really great songs that we had done over time. Because we did, and as a matter of fact, ESP, I think, was done by 1997, but they waited to release it. Right. So, but it was just a good, great piece of work. There's so many incredible moments in that record, like Good as Gold, Mm -hmm. um, Heaven in Your Eyes. There are some amazing, amazing songs in that in that album even uh midnight train they're on, they're they're unusual pieces of work but they're consistently interesting and kind of you know if i have to say it myself profound yeah <laughs> i'll say it <laughs> <Hey>.
0: <laughs> so and then you came up uh your last record was system overloaded in 2013. Um, that's right and I think you, you said it, David, but to me, it was a, a more of a return to sort of the classic
2: systems. Yeah, that's right, I think. OK, Mike, you can explain.
1: <laughs> uh, no, no, it, it was. Um, also, just trying to find a footing again as a writing duo, which right. we, when we got together to write that, we found that we hadn't. It's just like whenever we get in the room, we can always come up with something that's ours. And we don't have to bang our heads against the wall. And it definitely has our stamp on it. The problem in the music business is getting other people to hear it. You know, it, it requires a, a team. So, yes, it didn't have as much reach as some of the other albums had. Um, but that has to do with the change in the nature of the business, of the music business, and how, how music is, is shared and how music is spread out. Yeah
0: how do, how do you feel about um you know hip hop and sampling and all that as it came up and i'm sure there were acts that used snippets of some of your your works.
1: yeah we yeah. love we never had a problem with that
2: dave no it's good it's a good thing
0: yeah well especially it's a good if good thing get i mean, and paid right
2: yeah we get paid i mean you know like the, yeah it's a good it's a good thing um uh what was it the guy from uh Oh, I'm spacing out. Big boy. Big boy yeah. used uh-huh. you're in my system. Yep. Yeah. Uh Michelle, Michelle
1: Indignecello Indigni- how Indigni- do you say Cello. her name? Ind- Cello. did uh,
2: Indigni- uh no, She true. just did a, right. She just did a version of that.
1: No, Tupac did You're in my system, didn't he? Oh, no, was- no. Tupac and
2: Tupac did that was a great right. thing actually, right, because right, Tupac right, right. We happen to Mike be- and I have a copyright
1: with Tupac. Right. We we happened to be in the studio when they were working on that album. And one of That's the guys right. that was playing on it said, man, we just did we just uh, did a little bit of a cover of You're in My System on one of the Tupac songs. On uh, Don't
2: Disturb This Groove. Don't Disturb His Groove.
1: Is that the groove? That, that, yeah, Don't Disturb the Groove.
2: It group. was Don't Disturb Groove, yeah. yeah. You're right, you're
1: right. So
0: Mick and David, what do you guys... Working on today I know you've got some uh, shows coming up um, what's happening what what is what is the system in 2018
1: 2019 sound like oh man this I don't know Dave we have we have about eight songs like nearing completion but from where I yep. see it just it sounds amazing yeah yeah we do yes Dave <laughs> yeah, we do. I can
2: play them. You want me to play yeah. them on the thing? Don't let anybody hear them yet. Um, okay, don't let anybody hear them yet. Right.
1: Definitely. But it's, it's a system. It really is. It's an energized, reinvigorated system. Yep. And And
0: you've got several shows booked, or what's happening there?
1: Mm, I mean, nothing coming up right now but i'm hoping that once we finish the album that we'll be able to actually maybe tour and do some choreography what do you think david? <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> so
0: as we sit back and look on we talked about you know your amazing career um is there anything that you'd still yet like to do or that you'd still like to accomplish or you know how do you kind of look back on this great career that you've had thus far david
2: um, I think that it would be really great. I think that I, I just have always believed that if it's, if we, if we make great music, something great can happen from it so that, you know, and we're, we're, we're working on this album and it's really inspired and there's been, you know, there's been things to overcome in our lives individually. Um, you know, that we've had to deal with because life goes on and things and things happen in your life. And, Without mentioning all what they are, they're just like, you know, hurdles that you have to get over. And right now, we also, we are, are sort of both of us like in a position where we're kind of over some big hurdles and we're just making great music together. If yeah. we make a great album, that's what's important. And it will get noticed on the merit of that, you know, on whether it's
1: great or not. That's it. Well, Couldn't have said it better.
0: Well, as we sit here in 2018, 2019, you know, what, what inspires you today? I mean, what do you think of the current music scene and, um, you know, what sort of influences might we feel permeating through your new creations?
1: Listen, there's all, in every time period that we've lived through, There have always been, there's always been great music. There's great music. Yeah. now. There's just a lot more music to weed through and you have a lot less time to focus on and find the stuff that you like, but I'm always hearing things that I really am inspired by, you know, from all different corners of the world. Um, it's, it's It's really hard to say, but the one thing that we try to stay centrist with is really sounding like ourselves and being original. And sometimes that's hard because, you know, you could put certain stylistic touches on a song to make it easily, more easily fit into things that are out now, but you know, I think we've tried to remain true to ourselves in terms of creating songs that we think that we really think are great. I mean, that's kind of the first bar. Yep. We, we have to really love them. And then, if you make them and you love them, no matter what anybody says, you know that you, you know, you put your whole heart into it, and it's hundred percent you, and you can never feel bad about that.
2: That's right that's right yep
0: you know uh, david before we came on the air you were diddling around a little bit there so anyway, i could inspire you to maybe give us a little bit of that uh you're my system riff or something
2: <laughs> okay can you hear it yep you're right yep. i can talk a little bit
0: create something like that usually you lay the keyboard first or the drum part first or which
2: it varies really it really varies yeah it, it's not it's not always one thing or the other might be something that you wake up with in the middle of the night right
1: yep the best Got the best ones
2: best ones are when you wake up in the middle of the night with the
1: idea or the solution or the solution well i've heard so right. many stories where
0: the, the, the greatest biggest hits just uh, or like come out of the ether and they flow through somebody in you know an hour or something like that yeah mm-hmm. like, that's right system you guys just did it in like three hours
1: yep you just yep. Got to there to receive it and don't forget don't forget to write it down or don't forget to actually record it yeah some of the greatest greatest solutions that i've had for problems that i've encountered in songs have been like oh yeah I'll remember that when I get up yeah yeah, yeah that's it I'll remember when i get up and then when I get up, it's like, it's just, it's gone. It's just gone. Right. Right.
0: Well, guys, I uh, really appreciate all the all the time. It's been a blast talking about all those great creations and songs and albums. Um, do you have any uh, final words you'd like to get out to your fans, the, the viewers?
1: I mean... Go ahead, Mike. Yeah, we're working on a really great record right now. It really is really great and unique and very system. And... Um, you know, I hope that it gets out there and people are able to hear it and people are able to embrace um, what we've created and what we've created that's new. So we're really yep. looking forward to that. And, and hopefully getting to tour, because that's, that's one thing that I'm really hoping that this record will bring us, um, a vantage point from which we can, we can tour and you know, spread our music around the world.
0: That would be just uh, fantastic, you know. Do you have any like time frame when we might hear it? Like middle of next year or when?
1: I think um, my my goal is to have all the songs done like within the first week of Jan- first week of January, Dave. I'm, I'm all right, over. all right. I'm almost Here. You know, so, <laughs> That's so great. Then, of course, of course. there's a little <laughs> bit.
2: That's it. Yep. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, keep an ear out for that. Yep. <laughs> <Great>. <laughs> fantastic. You know, thank you so much, guys. Been
1: a for yes, talking blast. to you.
2: And, All right, uh, Scott. Thank you so much for persevering and getting, yep. getting us to do yeah. this. Yeah, <laughs> Good. Exactly.
0: Hey, back in studio. You know, in some ways, those guys were an unlikely pairing, cast together by happenstance. But that is what also makes the system something unique and special. Once it coalesced for them, it was like a runaway train, and now 37 years later. They're still at it. You know, before going on the air, I was delighted when David Frank gave me a gear tour of his lair. It was quite impressive with every imaginable keyboard goodie at his nimble fingertips. For now, a huge debt of gratitude to both of them, um, David Frank and Murphy, for spending so much quality time with Truth and Rhythm and sharing all those great stories and their, and their special history. Thank you so much, guys. Also, sincere thank you out to you once again the viewer and the fan of truth and rhythm for the faith and following the show and the support Speaking of which if you haven't already subscribe subscribe to the Funk and stuff channel on YouTube That's where truth and rhythm resides. It's where also truth and rhythm quick takes resides your snippets um, Well somewhat snippets five to ten minute segments um, Documenting the history of funk R&B and jazz music guests that have been on the program so, subscribe and show that support. Show these artists that you really care and how much you love their music and what it's meant to you. For anything like me, it's really made a big difference in your life. Also, write me. Email G at funkandslift.net. Let me know what you like, who else you'd like to see on the show. It's really been a great two way um, uh, communication channel, and I uh, really enjoyed getting to uh, communicate with so many fans and viewers of the show. So, keep it coming. And until then, as always, This is Scott Dr. G. Exkolfine saying, keep on vibrating to the rhythm of the one. And happy holidays, 2018.